Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devinter Hardwar And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today on the podcast, we got some what we've been watching, and then we're going to move on into an in-depth review of Terminator Dark Fate with Matt Singer from ScreenCrush.com. That's going to be a really fun discussion. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, but before we get to any of that stuff, you know, sometimes in the fog of war of recording a podcast, mistakes can get made. And uh, last week there were a number of mistakes. On so many mistakes, Dave. So many mistakes. Most of them by me. So last week we discussed the um, uh, what do you call it? The the HBO original series uh, Watchmen, and we made a number of claims around that uh, series. That uh, several of which turned out to be erroneous, and we are sorry about that, and we are now going to correct the record. So, uh, Jeff, one of the mistakes was around, like, you had said last week that originally Alan Moore wanted to do it, uh, Watchmen with uh, the main DC characters, like Superman, Wonder Woman, etc. Right. Um, that is actually not the case, right? What, what were the actual... And I knew that. I just somehow got it completed in my head. But yes, uh, he did want to use uh, established characters, but they weren't those... Uh, those, uh, you know, sort of pillar DC characters like Superman and Batman. It was more like the question and um, um, uh, I think the Adam and others. It was it was not not those not Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, but there are still analogs to those characters. And that still all rings true. But he did want to use known yeah, no golden known age characters. characters. Just yeah. not necessarily the characters that we, we Yeah, they were I think they were still golden age characters, but it was yeah. So, yeah. yes, many people corrected me uh and I uh, I will um mea culpa that that's my bad. I apologize for making that inference. Also, uh another thing that you you, you mentioned like the Rust book series, but it was actually wool, well, right? Yeah, right? I was trying to I we were talking about the the fires here in Los Angeles and I referenced a book. I couldn't quite remember the name of it. Um, some great listeners told me the name that I was trying to come up with. This the series is called Wool, uh, of which I have only read the first book, but I've t- I've been told that the entire series is is good and actually gets better as it goes along. Uh, the first book was actually pretty good, but it is a, about a post-apocalyptic world where everybody has to live underground because the air is so bad. And I was referencing that based on the fires here in Los Angeles that it feels like you know I can't go outside with my kid. And there's a bunch of moments in the first wool book where a young person can't is has lived their whole life underground and can't go outside without gas masks and stuff. So uh, good book, a good book series, I'm told, but it's, it's called Wool. And then um, on last week's episode of the podcast, I kind of described the book Watchmen as uh, Alan Moore's Watchmen, right? And we kept referring to Alan Moore as though he was like solely responsible. We I did mention Dave Gibbons as being responsible for the art and as somebody who like theoretically has a significant stake in what gets done with the art as well. Um, listener George Johnston tweeted at me. Uh, that uh, like he says uh, that I described the book as Alan Moore's Watchmen, and he said I just wanted to share this post by Alan Moore's daughter, and he linked me to this tweet by Alan Moore's daughter, uh, Leah Moore, uh, who says, "quote uh, saying this in case anyone needs reminding, Dad and Dave Gibbons pro- collaborated on an, on every tiny detail of Watchmen for the entire project." Dad suggested cool tiny art details. Dave suggested cool plot details. Comics is two or more people telling a story together, just like film or theater, end quote. 
So I just wanted to to point that out. Like I didn't, uh, perhaps I didn't fully understand how deep the collaboration went. Obviously, I knew Dave Gibbons is a huge part of the project, um, but he, obviously he was integral not just to the the art but also to the story, uh, according to Leah Moore. And so I just wanted to to clarify that. Um, well, I think she makes a, a even better point, Dave, which is yeah. that's how comics work. It's not just that this work was like that. That that's how comics work. It is a collaboration between a writer and an artist, and sometimes multiple artists and multiple writers. Um, so, I mean, it is a it is a true collaboration. Yeah. And uh, uh, a lot of the stuff that Stan Lee gets credit for, for example, you know, he, especially when you read about how comics were done, quote, the Marvel way, uh, he relied very heavily on his artists for plotting and stuff like that. So yeah, comics are a, are a collaborative medium and the artists add a ton in how that story is told and conveyed. Yeah. Yeah. So if I, if I implied otherwise, I apologize. Uh, but thank you all for the corrections, you know, appreciate it. And thanks for keeping us honest here on the slash Filmcast. Of course, you can always tweet at us or uh, find us uh, at slash filmcast gmail.com where you can send in your emails to us. So uh, appreciate you listening attentively and helping to uh, keep us accurate. So, uh, let's talk about a few things we've been watching this week. I wanted to mention this thing I finally got around to, The Lighthouse. Have you guys heard of this movie by Robert Eggers? Mm-hmm. Robert Eggers, yeah. the writer-director of The Witch. And The Lighthouse, I'm going to uh, read the plot somewhere here. Two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. Uh, this is a weird movie. Uh, it is... Completely in black and white. Uh, it is shot in a four by three aspect ratio. And uh, it, it largely consists of just two characters played by Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And many of the, they speak with heavy accents, which are managed to be somehow completely different, right? Willem Dafoe speaking kind of like a, like a pirate, as you might imagine a pirate would be. And I can't really tell what accent Robert Pattinson has. It almost sounds like kind of like a New York accent, um, New England accent, maybe. Uh, but you know, Jeff Kanata, you're the you're the person I thought of when I watched this this movie. I actually think you would love this movie because it's because it's just these two dudes playing off against each other in a small space. It's very much like a theater piece, right? I it's can't like, wait to see it. Yeah, it I'm, feels like a play almost, right? Almost went this week, uh, but I didn't have a chance to. I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's very atmospheric in the way that it's shot, obviously, with the choice of the black and white. Um, and just like the visuals are incredible. The performances are bravura. Uh, it's just really, hey, this is an opportunity uh, for these two great actors to act the hell out of something, and I'm just I'm trying to be pretty vague because I don't want to give anything away. Um, but yeah, I, I, I it, like the movie is overall pretty unpleasant in the sense that it is uh, a you know a, a spiraling <laughs> descent into the depth of human nature. But other than that, I really admire it. You know, it's not a movie yeah. I'd go to pick me up, um, <laughs> but it is a great film, and actually. Like uh, last week on the podcast, I said, "Hey, I I saw like most of the movies I've seen this year. I have not liked this year, this week. I saw three movies that I enjoyed. Uh, one of them was The Lighthouse. Uh, one of them was Terminator: Dark Fate, which I had a lot of fun with, despite the movie not being that great. And then I also had a chance to see Ryan Johnson's new movie, Knives Out, uh, which is going to be out you know, on Thanksgiving. And I will say very little about it because I anticipate we will yeah. probably review it at some point. Um, but I'll just say." 
it was a great time at the theater. And it's going to come out Thanksgiving. And I think it's one of those movies that, like, if you're gathered together with a family, you can, like, all take them to see this movie because, you know, it's pretty pretty family safe. And uh, it's just fun, you know? It has an amazing cast, uh, s- relatively small budget compared to The Last Jedi. And it's like, uh, it's an ensemble piece. It's an ensemble chamber piece uh, that is heavily inspired by the works of Agatha Christie and many other mystery writers. So had a great time with it and, and would recommend it to anyone. And uh, I also had a chance to rewatch Terminator 1 and 2 uh, this week in preparation for Dark Fate. And just want to say, like, those movies are still incredible. Terminator 1, very much like a horror <laughs> film. Terminator 2, uh, I saw the 4K disc, and uh, it looks amazing. Like Terminator 1, I have the Blu-ray. It does not... The, the Blu-ray does not look that great, in my opinion. Yeah. Like they, it, they went all out for that Terminator 2 thing. But yeah, the Terminator 2, I mean, I think I read somewhere that there's something like over... Uh, let me see if I can find this, uh, this review that I read about it. But basically, I think there's something like 47 versions of that disc. Um, something, something mm-hmm. in, like, like really uh, a large... That, that is like the ultimate... Uh, double dip basically is is the Terminator two. Um, here, here, actually, twenty three different versions of the Blu-ray have, have been released, <laughs> and I own twenty of them. Yeah, I own several of them actually. But like the thing is <laughs> that uh, Terminator two is is formative to my experience as a as a film lover growing up because that was when mm. like Terminator two hit Blu-ray and those double dips hit Blu-ray at around the same time that. Like or I should say, hit DVD at around the same time they were really investing heavily in yeah, these. Yeah, I was just going to say, don't even yeah. start with Blu-ray because I think it might <laughs> it might be the first DVD I purchased. And yeah. it might be. The, and when uh, the the special features were so good on that disc, like it's like four commentaries, alternate endings, deleted scenes. Uh, I, I I watched them all. I watched that movie. Like mm-hmm. over and over again, just so I could see like the picture in picture, like special feature, you know, where they describe how the thing. I I, I re that, that I did all of that stuff. I think to this day, I can describe how most of the scenes in that movie were accomplished. Like <laughs> I can tell you like what visual effects they used. You know, like was this a body double? You know, like I can like that's how deeply I know that movie. Yeah, um, it's weird by the way with these 4K releases. It's weird to think like this 4K release of Terminator 2 may be the last version, the last physical version of this movie that you'll ever buy. Yeah, and I should say the 4K version, we actually talked about it on the Slash Filmcast earlier. Yeah. The movie looks incredible, but the special features are pretty lacking on that disc. I mean, there's very mm-hmm. few actual 4K special features, if any. Um, like some of the earlier discs do a much better job with the special features. That's one of the problems is like special features are, are such like not a big selling point these days. Um and and also we're making kind of this transition to 4K that like there's just very few special features on these 4K discs and you're mm-hmm. right that mm-hmm. it's kind of a shame that this 4K disc might be the last one we ever see of it um, but uh, especially because like Dark Fate didn't do that well if Dark Fate did really yeah. well they might yeah. like re-release a whole box set or whatever um, but anyway when it when it comes to special features by the way I really like the fact that you know all these things have like iTunes codes or you know digital codes on demand um, you can on iTunes you often get special features there. Yeah, and yeah. honestly, I find that a much better way. Like I like to just dive into a commentary rather than go find the disc and load it up and everything. So I like that trend. I just wish uh, it was more consistent because you can never tell 
what iTunes or other services will have. And it's really only iTunes right now doing a lot of special features. But I would encourage people to like check out those Terminator discs that have like all the special features on. It's like basically mm-hmm. film school in a, the DVD disc, you know, like and some any of those earlier versions uh, that have all the special features in the commentaries. It's like such an amazing way to learn about film with one of the most like iconic sci-fi movies of all time. Uh, and comparing one and two, I mean, Terminator One really does feel like a horror film. You know, like it's just like this relentless. Guy oh, yeah. coming after it's basically these people. a slasher movie. Yeah, yeah. it's it's incredible, and like how, like, uh, gory is not necessarily the right word, but like he just like murders all these people in cold blood. And uh, watching the movie again, it takes me back to the time when I first watched that movie and how uh, how frightening, how frightening Arnold was in that movie, and and like you really get a sense of why this became like such an iconic figure uh, in cinema. So. Had a great time. on his own eyeball was the worst part for me. I mean, he could kill as many people as he wants, but sticking a screwdriver in his own eyeball, yeah. that's that was when I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know he's a badass, right? Yeah. It's when he could do that. But uh, anyway, still still a great two films. And I mean, I think one of the reasons that Terminator Dark Fate did so poorly is because they shoved so many bad sequels out there that I think they had just destroyed all the goodwill that Terminator 1 and 2 built up by the time we got to this movie, which is very unfortunate because as we'll discuss later, Dark Fate is not that bad of a film. Um, at least not according it's to some of us. Not that bad. It's not that it's bad. Film it's not that bad. Anyway. If you're looking for something that's not that bad, <laughs> we got the movie Listen, for you. In the Terminator franchise, that's, uh, we'll take what we can get at this yeah. point. The Lighthouse, so. Terminator 1 and 2, Knives Out. Those are the movies I've been watching this week. How about you, Devendra? Oh, I checked out HBO's uh, new adaptation of His Dark Materials. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, I really like the books. Uh, I like the cast they set up for this. Uh, James McAvoy, Ruth Wilson as the sort of like evil villainess, and uh, Daphne Keene, who we all know and love from Logan. Um, it is... We I've only seen the first episode so far. What I love is that, uh, you know, this is a story. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it, but it's sort of like an alternate world where our souls are kind of disembodied and they basically uh, they take the form of animals that coexist with you. So kind of just telling the story is a hard thing to do because every single person on screen needs to have like a little animal, something going on. Uh, We saw this in the golden compass, uh, which was kind of a failed attempt to adapt all this. I liked a lot of aspects of that movie. Actually, Daniel Craig was really interesting there and the animal effects were good. And I think they did a pretty good job here. Uh, It's a really interesting looking show. Uh, First episode is directed by Tom Hooper. So it feels like a really like visually bombastic Tom Hooper thing. There's a lot of like wide angles, uh, really low camera angles uh, following Daphne Keene's character. She's like running around this uh, this Oxford University she's at. And, you know, I can't I can't really tell how it's going to turn out. I'm liking this so far just because of everybody involved. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda has not showed up yet. He's in all of the trailers. Um, I think it's really good attempt at it uh, just because I've, you know, I've read at least the first book when I was a kid and I really liked it and I've been waiting for something to kind of do it right. And it feels like it's getting there. Um, you could tell there's a budget behind it. I think they realize this world well and I like the actor so far. So I'm going to stick with it. Um, have, have you guys ever read this, this series? I read the first book a long time ago. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's basically a kid's book. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
Uh, and I did not like the movie, the first attempt at doing the movie over the Nicole Kidman that one. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm intrigued by the HBO series, so maybe it's definitely intriguing. Like it, it doesn't feel like as much a you know, uh, knockout swing like Watchmen was, uh, which I love completely and have been following it religiously. Um, but I'm really interested in where this is going to go. Cool. All right. That's yeah. his dark materials and it is on HBO right now. What else have you been watching? Divindra? Also got to check out Apple TV plus, which launched on Friday and which is, uh, well, it's a thing. It's a thing. I reviewed it at Engadget. I think my overall takeaways, it's fine. It's completely fine. It's five bucks a month for most people for, you know, I think about nine shows at this point in one movie. Um, if you buy an Apple device, you get a year free. They're, they're essentially handing this thing out and it's Apple's big play into premium content. Uh, I saw a bunch of things, but I think the one, the only one I really loved is Dickinson. And that's the retelling of Emily Dickinson's life in like a fun, irreverent way. It kind of reminds me of Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette, where there's modern music. There's really interesting editing. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. So and it's a funny show with uh, great actors. So I'm really digging that. Um, it is funny because uh, Dave and I both went to school in Amherst, Massachusetts, and that's where the Emily Dickinson house is. So this is like the one time I can watch something where people are just talking about Amherst all the time, even though it was not filmed there. It was filmed in upstate New York. But I think they did a decent job of recreating the look of the Emily Dickinson house as well. I have a weird relationship with that whole place because I used to like have to go crawl around on the floor fixing computers in Emily Dickinson's house. So it's a, it's a very strange thing to see on TV. Digging the show. I think it's the best thing Apple TV Plus is doing so far. But I know, Jeff, you've been watching something there too, right? Yeah, I, I checked out the first episode of The Morning Show, um, which I thought was pretty good, actually. Uh, I really liked uh, Jennifer Aniston in it. And, it, you know, it's clearly very much the Matt Lauer story, uh, fictionalized. Uh, but, um, you know, just based on the first episode, I'm going to keep watching it. I, I found it uh, compelling enough. But, boy, we are in – we're about to get Disney Plus. Yeah, and too much. There's Apple. too much. There's, it, television is is a little bit overwhelming. It's a little bit overwhelming. So many things I want to watch. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to watch these dark materials. But there's, you know, there's three shows. I'm very excited to watch um, For All Mankind, which is another Apple TV show. Uh and and then and then Disney Plus is going to come and take over my life. It's just like I don't know what to even do. What do we? What I feel does like the person that, that's do? the real problem we're going to have, right? It's not just like juggling all these membership costs. It's just like who has the time, really, for any yes, of it? It's, it's too. It's first world problems, of course, but it is. You know, it's it's tough. Uh, and I thought the first episode was solid. I I had heard people slogging on it. Basically, every scene in it that doesn't include, um, <laughs> oh. What's her name? Steve Carell? No, Steve Carell's fine. Um, Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah, yeah, Reese Witherspoon. Those are the big every names. scene, every scene that doesn't include Reese Witherspoon is is pretty good. Um, but she, her character in, in it is is quite grating. And uh, oh, I don't. What's, your, I, what's and, her character's name? Is it uh, Jackson Bradley Jackson? Something like that. Which looks like looked at Bradley Cooper. You looked at uh, what's his face? Jackson uh, Maine. From yeah, Jackson Maine. It's like let's just let's just smush them together. And create a Reese Witherspoon character. I mean, I guess all the scenes she's in feel like somebody just transcribed someone's Twitter rant. <laughs> you know, somebody was like, "Oh, yeah. that's really a really strong Twitter rant. I'm going to put yeah. that in my script." 
Um, let, let me tell you, Jeff, she's a very big part of the show. So you better yeah. get used to her. Uh, uh, we'll I, I, I was not a big fan of this. Like it, it's, it feels like I'm saying it's perfectly fine. It is watchable, uh, apparently premium TV. It wants to look like a high budget, uh, NBC drama. It re- it wants to be an Aaron Sorkin show. It wants to be an Aaron Sorkin show so bad. Like this yeah. show feels like the newsroom all over again, except said about a morning show. And it doesn't have the characters as interesting or the dialogue and the banter. So it's, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, only not, one Aaron Sorkin. That's yeah, the problem. Yeah. That, that's we, the big thing. My wife him. digs it. I'm watching it because she likes it, but yeah, this is it feels like, OK, we have these major stars in the show and that's kind of it. It's wall to wall stars. I mean, it is yeah. like every character is like, oh, it's wow. Oh, wow. Everybody. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the morning show on Apple TV Plus and Dickinson. Sounds like Jeff enjoyed morning show. Devendra didn't as much. And Devendra, you're a fan of Dickinson mm-hmm. uh, and would recommend that one. Uh, but yeah, there's more, uh, more streaming shows out there. Like Jeff, what else have you been watching this week? Well, I mentioned a while back that my wife and I were watching season three of Goliath on Amazon prime streaming. And, uh, we had been big fans of the first two seasons of Goliath. And when I talked about it, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago now, we'd only watched a, a couple of episodes and I had commented that, you know, the, the thing I liked about Goliath is that it, it takes big swings and it goes really weird and wacky. And then it sort of always brings it back and grounds it by the end. And I thought, wow, this one, this third season is really going even farther afield and going a little even wackier and more bizarre. I can't wait to see how it grounds it. And the surprise twist is they don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is just bonkers from start to finish. And then it ends on a massive cliffhanger. So it feels like the first half of a season in, in a weird way. Um, each of the first two seasons of Goliath, which is uh, a show I should mention, um, starring Billy Bob Thornton as a uh, lawyer with a drinking problem who takes on big, big corporations as sort of just class action lawsuits. Uh, I found it to be pretty fun the first two seasons, but each of the first two seasons is its own self-contained story, pretty much. Uh, and the third season really brings back everybody from the first two seasons in a weird mishmash way. That I didn't, I didn't feel was earned, and uh, it, it seems like it's building up to a fourth season that's going to kind of hopefully tie it all together. But man, season three is bonkers. Amy Brenneman is in it; she's always great. Dennis Quaid is in it; he's always great. Uh, it, 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 it's it's I don't understand their characters. I don't understand what they're doing. It is so bonkers. It is so weird, and so much of it just is completely unexplained. There's big, long drug trip scenes and imagery that doesn't make any sense and character motivations that I just can't put together right now. And I've seen the whole season. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know what season four. I, it, it was a little disappointing, I have to be honest, for a show that I've enjoyed for a while now. All right. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you didn't have a great time with Goliath season three, Jeff. Um, but you you liked it until that point? Yes. Uh, the first two seasons were great, as yeah, I said. Yeah. Um, it's uh, you know, and and there's stuff that's interesting in this season, in the third season. But I just kept waiting for it to turn the corner and go. Here's, and the the subject matter of season three is is really interesting to me. It being a native Californian, because it's all about water and the crazy you know, drought and water shortages, and and the idea of of big farms kind of stealing water from individuals. I found that 
premise to be good, but man, it just goes into some bonkers town. Like it is just goofy. I mean, legit goofy at times. And, uh, the show has dabbled in getting goofy, but it always pulls out and justifies it in a interesting way. And I, I just did not find that to be the case this time. All right. Well, that's uh, Jeff's review of Goliath season three, and it's available right now on Amazon prime video. That's what we've been watching. Uh, before we get to our review of Terminator dark fate, we got to thank all the people who donated to the show. Big thanks to Russell Carrington who donates and writes the following message. Long-time listener from Australia, thank you for always entertaining me on my way to university slash college. Thanks so much for your donation, Russell. Thanks also to new subscribers, Kent West and Benjamin Hansen, who are donating at the rate of $2 per month. Um, we really appreciate anyone who can throw some cash our way to help us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show. If you want to donate, just go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash filmcast, or go to slash film.com. Click on the Slash Filmcast tab and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. We never want you to donate if it causes you any hardship whatsoever. But if you do have extra money, uh, we'd appreciate it. Hey, Dave, can I do a quick shout-out real quick? Please. Because uh, I, I should have said this last week because it actually happened before last week. I just just slipped my mind. But uh, my wife and I went to a, a fun little event. Uh, very rare for us to get away from the children and have uh, just a couple's uh, weekend, but we went down to Temecula and went to this cool event and stayed in a hotel there. And as we were checking in, uh, actually after we checked in, uh, I went back to the desk to buy, buy a candy bar and the, the desk attendant said, uh, Hey, slash film cast. And I thought that was <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I didn't get, yeah, I didn't yeah. get his name. I wish I had, I, I felt bad not getting his name, but I, if he's listening, I would just say, Hey, it made me feel good. I wish he'd, he'd said it when my wife was standing there because that would have been super cool. Uh, but if it was when it's I like, came honey, back people solo. actually listen. Yeah. Look, yes. here's proof. It always happens when, you know, no one's around to see it. It's like, I appreciate it. But man, I could have gotten some cool. You know, my wife would have thought I was neat. Uh, but um, but I appreciate that. It was really nice. Yeah. And uh, he gave me the candy bar for free. Uh, so that's very nice. Very, that's very, very nice. I have to say, Jeff, like, um. I, I really wish you got that credit. Like sometimes I feel like my wife introduces me and what I do and people are like, Oh, okay. A yeah. Podcast. People listen to you <laughs> talk to a computer. Oh, okay. And this guy thinks he's a podcast man or stars. Like, oh. I, yeah. I, I have a colleague at work who I shall not name because I have not gotten her permission to name her, but <laughs> we, uh, she sits literally in the, in the desk that's next to mine. And on more than, one like on at least two occasions, possibly more than that, uh, she has been witness to someone recognizing me by voice because of the slash cast. Um, <laughs> like literally, there's one time someone was walking past our desk at 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 the office, and like I work in a very big building with five thousand people in it, so it's like you know you could I go to work every day, and every day like I pass a hundred people at work who I've never seen before. It's, like, it's just like, it's a huge building. And uh, so also I go to you work. don't really pay attention. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe. maybe. So the humans. Perhaps. Perhaps, Jeff. <laughs> um, and uh, one time somebody like walked past our, our desk and I said, they, they kind of like looked a little lost. And I said, oh, hey, can I help you? Like, you know, can I help you find whatever you're looking for? And they said, oh, no, thanks. But then they said, wait a second. Are you David Chet? You know, like they knew me from, from my voice. <laughs> And the fact that I've said I've worked at, you know, my company. 
Yeah. Uh, That's also because you give directions by saying, I'm going to give you the official directions of SlashFilm.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it, it happened like twice in a very short period of time. So she almost thought like I was somehow engineering it so that she would witness it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Um, but I would never do anything like that. Of course not. I have had the experience multiple times. Uh, <laughs> and I think, I think this, uh, this gentleman said it to me this time, maybe I'm making it up, but I've definitely had the experience multiple times of somebody saying, I didn't want to say anything because you were with your family. And I'm like, no, that's exactly when yes, you say something. Exactly when. <laughs> oh man. That is when you say it. Cause then it makes me look cool in front of my family. <laughs> Words of the wise. If you yes. recognize Jeff Kanata and you see him with his family, that is the optimal time to bother. Any of us. If, any if of around, us. If I'm around any Come other on. person, don't single me out when I'm alone. I mean, it feels <laughs> nice, but when I'm around other people, that is when it is the coolest. When you're alone, oh, that man. could be like arguably threatening. You know, you might feel like weird <laughs> about that. But when you're with your family, it's like, dude. Gotta yeah. cash in that social capital. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. I was Let's I was out at a like one of the those like outdoor food festivals uh, at Prospect Park here in Brooklyn, and somebody came up to me and I was hanging out with my cousin and just said hi because of the podcast. My cousin, my cousin, could not stop talking about it. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. did not realize that 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 was like the the reach we had. And I didn't I didn't expect that. I just did be like, oh hey, good to meet you, yada yada thing. But that that blew him away. So please, people, no, if you if you is... find Jeff, do it. Yes, that is that is I mean we all live with families that have no idea what we do. And that is the 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 very very best one I will quickly say the very best one that ever happened to me <laughs> was uh uh I was in Portland, Oregon uh-huh. visiting my friends from college and uh was walking with my then girlfriend now wife I believe. Uh it might have been a different girlfriend. Very good stranger. Anyway, yeah. Uh, was what wa- wa- literally just walking down the street and a car drove by and rolled down the window and said, Jeff Kanata, I love you. And I was like, I, the whole weekend, all, all my friends would talk about, <laughs> it was the coolest. It was like, Oh, they didn't think I did any, they had no context for what I did for a living. And, uh, it was cool. So anyway, point Basically, being, what Jeff's trying to say is we heavily depend on you our listeners for external validation of oh. our life choices, yes. please. For in front of our family, yes. My family thinks I'm worthless. Please give me worth. I do need this to happen in front of my parents. That would be the best. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god. Yes. All right. Let's get to our review of Terminator Dark Fate. My name is Sarah Connor. August 29, nineteen ninety-seven. Supposed to be Judgment Day. But I changed the future. Saved three billion lives. Enough of a resume for you? No. You may have changed the future, but you didn't change our fate. But I'm here to protect you. Never seen one like you before. Almost human. I am human. Just enhanced. Why do you care what happens to her? Because I was her.
I can see you're very upset. That was from the trailer of Terminator Dark Fate. I'm going to read the plot summary right now from IMDb. Sarah Connor and a hybrid cyborg human must protect a young girl from a newly modified liquid Terminator from the future. This is a Slash Filmcast, and today joining us for our review of Terminator Dark Fate, we have a great guest. Uh, He is the editor-in-chief of ScreenCrush.com. He's also the author of Marvel's Spider-Man from Amazing to Spectacular, the definitive art collection. Matt Singer, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Matt, congrats on the new book. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about From Amazing to Spectacular, the definitive art... uh, I'm sorry. Marvel's Spider-Man from Amazing to Spectacular, the definitive comic art collection. It is the definitive comic art collection of Spider-Man. Yeah, it's basically like um, one part history of Spider-Man and kind of blended with a kind of a uh, coffee table book art book, oversized. Dave, you can attest to that, I think, that it's very large. It is pretty huge. Pretty huge. It's a a gigantic book. And... um, it uh, it's it's uh, it's pretty great. It's it, it's specifically just about the comics. It's not about the movies or or the um, uh, the, the, the toys or shows or, or or video games. Specifically, the history of Spider-Man comics. And I interviewed, uh, you know, well over a dozen uh, uh, writers and artists about their time working on Spider-Man. And then it's got uh, a little bit of maybe some criticism in there and a lot of really awesome Spider-Man artwork from 50 some odd years of Spider-Man comics. Nice. Nice. Cool. Matt, cool. H- how did you find time to write a book? Cause you have two kids. <laughs> You're editor in chief of a website. two kids and a full-time yeah. job. How? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's mostly pictures, right? It's mostly pictures. <laughs> the that pictures tell the story. Yeah. yeah. Helps. It's a lot of see here and just <laughs> arrows pointing everywhere. Uh, well, you know, I used to have a podcast. I don't, I don't have as many podcasts. As, I have zero podcasts now. Ah. So how many podcasts are you up to, Dave? I'm doing like uh, three regularly right now. So it's not right. It's not so, bad. I mean, and you have a full time job, right? Uh, yep, that's true. So imagine you just stop doing podcasts and you use that time to write a book and you ignore your family and your loved ones. And it's really all about ignoring your family. That's yeah, you, you stop yeah. sleeping and it, it pretty much writes itself at that point. Wow. All that's right. Pretty impressive. Um, yeah. so, uh, what is the best way to acquire this book, Matt, in a way that would be maximally financially beneficial to you? <laughs> it doesn't really, honestly, doesn't, uh, affect me that much. Um, it is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can get it online. Um, I'm not sure how many stores actually are carrying it. It's probably easiest to get it online. If you're listening to this like live or Monday or Tuesday, we're doing a signing and a and a discussion on Wednesday night here in in Brooklyn at Word Bookstores. I love that place. Yeah, yeah it's a great great store. I'll be there. Um, we're going to be talking about Spider Man. Um, we're doing a little uh, Spider-Man discussion with uh, Alex Segura, who's the president of Archie Comics and a comic book and, and a writer and novelist in his own right. And he's writing right now this terrific series of columns on uh, online, I think at the website 13thdimension.com, where he's reading every single Spider-Man comic like sequentially and writing about them all. So we're going to talk wow. about Spider-Man, sign some books. That is this Wednesday, the November 6th, 6th. November yes. 6th. Yeah. At Word Bookstore in Brooklyn. So if you hear this relatively soon, come <laughs> on out to that. That would be the best way because then people would show up and I won't be sitting there 
sadly talking alone about Spider-Man, which well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well be sitting in my house. I don't have to go to Greenpoint to do that. But uh, well, other than uh, that, just get it online somewhere, wherever is easiest for you. All right. We'll put a link in the show notes and congrats again, Matt. Um, really uh, hope people have a chance to check it out. And if you do visit Matt on Wednesday night, uh, uh, tell them the uh, tell him the slash filmcast sent you. That'll be uh, yeah, definitely. So we're really glad to have you on the podcast tonight, Matt, um, because this week I actually happened to watch a big new entry in a franchise that uh, followed a few really negatively received entries. The major characters were all non-white dudes, unlike in the original, but it also borrowed many of the same elements from the original, like the villains acted very much the same. The plot was basically a redo of an earlier film, and it also featured characters and actors from the first entries of the franchise to kind of pass things on to the new generation. But enough about Star Wars The Force Awakens. Let's also talk about Terminator Dark Fate! Nice. Boom goes yeah. dynamite. Boom. You did it. Dynamite. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this movie is very much like The Force Awakens, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a reboot, requel, side boot, sidequel, or perhaps the term that you helped to coin, Matt Singer, legacy-quel. What did you think of Terminator Dark Fate? I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I can, in my warped brain, I can defend any Terminator movie. Um, <laughs> I, I might be the only one, but I can. We should say um, that Matt Singer is one of the the world's foremost Schwarzeneggerologists. Um, yes. <laughs> the only one, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I've never met another one. But uh, yes, yeah. a pioneer. Somehow you haven't field. been like fought for that title. It's No, uh, nobody's yeah. come to challenge me uh, in a some sort of bodybuilding competition for it yet, thankfully. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so uh, my my opinions are somewhat warped by my my degree in Schwarzenegger Schwarzeneggernomics. You should yeah, everyone <laughs> should be aware of that. But I think even by by my standards, I thought this was still like the best uh, Terminator sequel since Terminator Two, and um, and I you know I say that even though he I guess this is slightly spoilerish, but I mean the fact that Arnold is not in this one that much. He's certainly in this one less than any of the others that he fully appears in, you know, he's basically not in Terminator Salvation. Um, but uh, from all the ones that he stars in, this is certainly the one where his role is the most marginal, um, which I, I suppose uh, f for me saying this, maybe I, theoretically that might have made me like it less, but uh, that wasn't the case. I thought, um, yeah, I thought they did a nice job of of updating the premise. Um, you're right, it is in some ways, it, it is kind of like a... a um, a, a reboot in disguise uh, of the previous movies, the first two movies. It is definitely a legacy sequel. Although I didn't, I don't think I mentioned that in my review. I didn't really think about it in those terms as I was watching it. Um, but you're absolutely right. It definitely adheres to all the rules of that kind of movie. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think that it really made me appreciate it in a way that I don't know that I really fully did how much I did miss the Sarah Connor character yeah. since Terminator 2 because she was absent from those other lesser sequels. Uh, and having her back here, I thought, was really the the highlight of this film. I thought it was great to see her back as the character. And I really enjoyed her performance. I really enjoyed what they did with the character. I loved seeing her interact with the new characters. I loved seeing her interact with Arnold again. So... 
for me, I think there are definitely some things that I didn't love about it. And I, I'm, uh, I, 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 there, you know, I've, I've read and, and heard complaints about the movie and some of which I would take issue with. And a lot of them I wouldn't, but, uh, overall I, I, I enjoyed this movie and I, I definitely will watch it again whenever it's on, you know, I can see myself watching uh, it on Blu-ray or a digital copy or whatever numerous times when it, when it's available that way. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear that. How about you, Devinder Hardware? What did you think of Terminator Dark Fate? Well, Dave, you know what? Uh, I, I could say this movie rules. This movie slaps. This movie <laughs> kicks ass. Uh, you could say I liked it. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's very good. It's it very, very good. It is that slaps. A thing? Is, is, oh, God. Is that a thing? Jeff, yeah. you're not that old. You're not that old. You, you have heard this seen it on the internet yes it slaps uh it is very good it is very very good it's a great sequel it is certainly better than any of the other sequels i was actually meaning to rewatch uh rise of the machines at some point because it feels like that movie is less worse uh in the face of the other sequels we got but i didn't have a chance to do that um i just really enjoyed this i I feel like basically rebooting everything going back to like the core uh I don't know, cat and mouse dynamic of the first two movies, basically. Like, it's so, this plot is so simple because it is the basic Terminator plot. Like, chosen one from the future, Terminator appears, and then, you know, you you just got to protect this one person. But I love how much this movie goes back to, like, the, just that core idea and that core execution. Uh, It, it's still, it's kind of a horror movie in a way. Like, it is really grotesque and violent at times. The action kicks ass uh i really like the characters overall you can certainly tell this is a movie that has like six or seven writers um just lots of it feels kind of hodgepodge um but i really have to say i also really like uh i I like the swartzy in this i I like arnold and i feel like we about his character in spoilers because Oh man, I did not, he was in the trailers, but I did not quite expect where they went with that character. There's some really fun twists in this movie, which I also feel like we shouldn't, like among the early scenes, I feel like isn't worth spoiling before we get to spoilers. But I think it does some really cool stuff with the mythology and uh, yeah, just dug it overall. Also, Mackenzie Davis. I love Mackenzie Davis. I've loved her ever since Halt and Catch Fire. I've kind of sang her praises forever. She was great in Blade Runner 2049. She just kicks complete ass in this movie. And it's a, it's a joy to watch. So, yeah, I really dug it. Jefferson Kanata, your thoughts on Terminator Dark Fate? Well, Dave... I guess you could say my thoughts on Terminator Dark Fate are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Wow, nice. Interesting. I've long been someone who wants for this franchise to elicit the response that Terminator 2 did. Dark Fate didn't do it. But I'm down for the Linda Hamilton (laughs) assance. Wow, those rhymes took some twists and turns. Uh, Sure. Yeah, sure. Nicely done. I'm also down for that, by the way. That that is the best part of this movie. She has one of the coolest character introduction moments in all of cinema in this movie. Uh, when she arrives in the first first little while of this movie, it is an epic moment. She steps out of a car with those aviator sunglasses on and is just awesome. And I mean, her silver hair quaffed just so. Her sort of steely-eyed grimace on her face throughout this entire movie. Yeah, she's just awesome. I'm like, what have you been doing, Linda? We missed you. 
we missed you. She's so great. And you guys are right in also pointing out that Arnold turns in a very good performance in this movie. I really thought he was he was really solid, uh, genuinely funny and and charming and uh, different than he's ever been in a Terminator movie before. We'll get to why in spoilers, but it is. Um, I just I thought his work in this movie was was really nuanced and and I was impressed with Arnold. But I did not enjoy this movie. Uh, <laughs> I I don't think it's very good, and I I want to explain why, but it'll have to be in our spoiler section. But I think this is a massively missed opportunity. the The setup for this movie is really smart, and they just completely. Uh, uh, you know, pull the ejector cord on doing anything original or interesting. When I, I mean, I'm old. We've established that. Don't know what slapping is, but um, <laughs> I very vividly remember going to see Terminator Two and just feeling like, oh my god, I'm seeing something I've never seen before. This they it has turned this franchise on its head, and there's this new thing this thing that is that seems impossible this liquid metal terminator what even is this it it seems it seems like this this it, it, in the way the first movie had this terminator be this unstoppable thing cameron establishes the liquid metal the, the t1000 as a unstoppable horrible uh, unimaginably difficult challenge for these characters right and I don't think I think this franchise has always attempted to do that again and never has achieved it. There has never been anything as interesting or as as novel or as um, um, game changing as what Terminator 2 managed to do. And I think this movie completely whiffs on that and had an opportunity to do something really, really cool based on the setup that this movie establishes. And it just rests on its laurels and goes, okay, here's what you expect from a Terminator movie. We're going to do that. And I found it to be really a, a bummer because it was great having the, it's great in its legacy sequel trappings. Like I dig, I dig legacy sequels in general because I'm old and I remember those movies and I like, I like Rocky Balboa showing up and handing the torch off. I like, you know, uh, Princess Leia and and Luke Skywalker being there, I, I like those bridges to the, those old franchises, and I loved it here. I just felt like the opportunity was completely squandered to comp- to absolutely revitalize this franchise. It just was like here's another one, but oh, this time we have the old characters as well. And I thought there could have been a really bold new direction with the franchise that would have been fun and exciting and and really kind of set things up for the future. And I just think it kind of punted on that. So I, I was pretty disappointed with it. I didn't think the action set pieces were particularly great or thrilling. Um, there, there's some fun to be had. I, I, I liked it. I, I agree that it is the third best Terminator movie, but I think that's a pretty low bar. And uh, I ultimately think this movie isn't that great. I think I fall in between your opinions uh, as usual. I think that uh, the movie is actually not that good, but I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I kind of went in hoping for a couple things. Here, here's some here's some boxes that I was hoping were going to be checked when I went to see Terminator Dark Fate. Number one, uh, a set of set pieces 
that looked like they might have involved real life stunts. Sure. That's like pretty yeah. important to me for like Terminator movie. Certainly something that made the first two films great. And despite some questionable CG, largely that box was checked for me. I think some of the set pieces are really cool and looked like they actually were difficult to pull off. Um, and then also I kind of was hoping that the movie would do some honor to these characters, uh, specifically uh, Sarah Connor's character. And I think it kind of did that, but mostly I was just hoping that the movie wouldn't be terrible. And I don't think it was terrible. I think it, like like you said, Jeff, it misses uh, some opportunities. And it's largely like The Force Awakens in the sense that it's like, it's like a reboot of Terminator 2. Like the plot is virtually yeah. identical to Terminator 2. The dynamics are virtually identical to Terminator 2. But it's not as good as Terminator 2 because the uh, like Robert Patrick's performance as T-1000, hard to beat. I mean, Gabriel Luna does a great <laughs> job, but it's just really difficult to, to surpass that performance. And on top of that, uh, there's just way more characters in this film to focus on. And as a result, each one of them gets a little bit less time. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I'll say is just that I read uh, Matt Singer's interview with Tim Miller, the director of this film. And I can get into this a little bit more later uh, during the spoiler section, but something that Tim Miller very honestly conveyed in that interview was that he started doing the action. He started like prepping for the action scenes before the script was complete. And uh, like, they were like, okay, we know at one point, you know, they're going to have a fight in a, in a, you know, factory or whatever. And then they need to like write around, like write around that and to that. And, Honestly, that's that's what the movie feels like. Uh, it feels mm-hmm. like they had like some specific action scenes in mind, and they kind of just like, hey, let's just fill this in to the to something with something that makes. Isn't, isn't that the basically sense. the Christopher McQuarrie? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, that's what I they mean, do in the Mission Impossible. It movies. can be done. It can be done well. <laughs> Certainly, like yeah, McQuarrie's making some of the best action movies around because he's basically playing jazz with action <laughs> movies. You know, he's like, I got a set piece here, I got a skydive sequence there, and we're we're gonna make some music, baby. Uh, yeah, this I one guess, feels more forced. Yeah, I guess I guess it, it it doesn't work as well. I think in a movie like this, where you're dealing with these iconic characters, and where, in my opinion, like if you watch Terminator Two, uh, the the ending of Terminator Two is a very hopeful ending about how we can kind of construct fate. It, it, you know, there's no fate but what we make. It's like we can ch- change the future if we want. Like it's very hopeful despite the kind of last shot of this road being a little bit melancholy and uh <laughs> every terminator sequel has basically undone that ending oh yeah and, and terminator I, I, 3 I, has a wild ending like that was pretty shocking like they yeah. basically sat back and watched judgment day happen it's kind of wild in t3 yeah. rise of the machines right yeah and yeah. so i feel like when you're dealing with characters it's iconic and when you're dealing with a kind of a sequel to a movie that is one of the best sci-fi action movies of all time. Like it's hard to 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 do the jazz in the same way that you would with like a Mission Impossible, where they've already made clear what their priorities are, which is Tom Cruise hanging off the sides of ever taller and taller things or yeah, higher yeah. and higher objects. I, I kind um, of feel like they had to like they needed a palate cleanser, like after whatever the hell Salvation was, whatever Genesis was, like 
it feels like we we need to like go back to basics a little the characters you love the situation you love the setup you love and kind of just tweak it a little so in that way it's very much like force awakens and that comparison is perfect but i also think it it does tweak the formula in an interesting way that makes me want to come back to this universe whereas all those other sequels are like why why am i doing this why am i watching a yeah sarah connor um why am i watching daenerys targaryen as sarah connor i don't know i don't know why matt matt singer um before we get to like spoilers i do just want to ask you like do you believe that terminator dark fate is the third best uh, or i think you've already said you've you, you think it is a third best terminator film but like uh, kind of looking back on the other terminator films like do you actually like genesis you know do you think salvation or or Rise of the Machines are like genuinely, legitimately good movies, or do you acknowledge that like, hey, they're not very good, but like my appreciation of Arnold's oeuvre allows <laughs> me to kind of make allowances for them. Like, I'm kind of curious, like, what your perception is on the franchise. I would really love to hear Arnold Schwarzenegger say the word oeuvre. Yes. I think first yeah. and foremost, oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> <Uvra>. um, <laughs> um, well, Terminator Salvation, I think, is the weakest of the bunch. It's also the one that. Arnold's not in. I don't think it's a. That's necessarily a, a coincidence <laughs> either. But uh, that's the one that I I, I would I would um, rank dead last. I will say though I I did rewatch it this year, um, and found it to be um, less terrible than I remembered. There, I think it has some some things going for it. Not mm-hmm. a ton, but it has it has some things going. Bale, for it. It's cool hard sequences. it's hard for Bale to be terrible too. Yeah. Right. It yeah, it has some cool sequences like the beginning is really cool. There's like the the opening sequence with with um Christian Bale. That yeah, it's like in a helicopter. Attack. That tentacle yeah, attack inside that you know that like sort of uh, abandoned building is really cool too, I thought. Yeah, there's 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 some cool sequences in it. It has like the the terminators are really like ferocious and intense and scary in that movie and very relentless, very machine-like, very robotic. There's no like cr- j- robots cracking jokes about drapes or, you know, like <laughs> You're, all the conversation about, you know, uh, it, this movie slaps. I was just thinking, like, thank God this isn't, like, a remake of Terminator 2. Otherwise, <laughs> instead of, like, hasta la vista, baby, the Terminator would definitely be saying, like, this move, you know, this slaps, this car this slaps. slaps. Weird yeah. flex, but okay. It Weird is in my oeuvre. <laughs> my oeuvre is all about the slaps. Yeah. <laughs> okay, boomer. right so so there's that you know depending on your point of view that's maybe something in the movie's favor or maybe something against it i don't know i think the main problem with with terminator salvation is it is a little just kind of dour and it's very you know no pun intended it's very mechanical it's It's very great that's a great ass movie let me just say that of all the terminator sequels i find salvation the most defensible because it's the only one that that doesn't basically it doesn't (laughs) It doesn't remake or redo like the plot from the first two movies, you know. Like, I mean, I guess that is uh, that it's is. It's the only one that tries to do something completely yes. separate from the dynamic tr- of a Terminator. It tries world building. It tries. Yeah, it, tr- it tries. Building. It try. It might fail, but it at least get, you know tries to do something yeah. other than here's a Terminator or Arnold Schwarzenegger protecting a dude or a woman or whatever. You know, like it it does something different than the other ones. Um, okay, I mean so. that's that's fair enough. I I think that there I just I I think it doesn't have a lot of personality and uh especially by the end I get very bored watching it. Um it just seems kind of I, I don't know. I mean Christian Bale is a is a wonderful actor and he's so good in so many things and 
rarely I, have I ever like felt nothing about his performances. Like <laughs> they're either really like incredible dynamic or sometimes they're just, you know, over the top and yeah. absurd. But I but they're always like they're engaging. And, and that's one of the few performances I've ever seen him give where it's just like. You know, his most passionate part of the performance was the leaked audio of him yelling at the guy on set. Like, there's nothing else about the movie that he seemed to care about. You could tell he was bored, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. The other two, uh, Terminator 3, Terminator Genesis, I mean, they're not great movies. I would never say any of them are are great. I find them particularly interesting, again, in the – the uh, the scope of Arnold's career, I do think they each have interesting uh, set pieces in them as well. Um, but I but I think they're and and as you mentioned earlier, Terminator Three has one of the all time great like bummer endings. There's very few so good movies of any kind, much less big franchise sequels that end in as dark a place as as that movie does. Which you kind of I I, I sort of uh, love and appreciate that about it. But, the other thing I love about them again, yeah, is 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 the weirdly kind of very obviously, if you're looking for it, autobiographical nature of of these movies um, when it comes to Schwarzenegger himself, and it's very present in Terminator Three. It's somewhat less present in present in Terminator Genesis, although it is there as well. And then in this movie, I was kind of astonished. Extremely present in this movie. Which I found, abs- again, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And I spoke to him um, about this movie, and I, I interviewed him one other time. And he he is as – his his – his human exoskeleton is as impervious to any kind of like self reflection or introspection as the Terminator's, uh, you know, uh, metal body is to bullets. Like if you ask him anything approaching the, these subjects, he's just like, it meant nothing to me. It is nothing, you know, like he, <laughs> he doesn't talk about it, but it's like it. It, to me, it's almost like Woody Allen saying my movies are not autobiographical. It's like anyone with two eyes who's looking can see <laughs> that the, that this is that he's making these movies about himself or at least exploring certain aspects of himself. Yeah. And um, to some extent, the fact that he refuses to talk about it, I only find even more fascinating. But yeah, it's, Stick it's the questions about my oeuvre. Exactly. <laughs> basically, basically. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's even it's it's uh, it I, I you could you could definitely like watch all of these movies in a row. Just look at his performances and his characters. And I, I, I would I, I think you'd find a lot of really fun and interesting and shockingly personal stuff in all of them yeah yeah all right well fair enough matt um anyway let's uh let's get to spoilers there's a lot more to discuss about this movie during spoilers so spoilers for terminator dark fate starting right now now you're looking for the secret you're gonna see this coming no but you won't find it because of course you're not gonna see this coming you're not really looking i have been puzzling over how it you don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Let me just say, I'm frankly disappointed nobody uttered the phrase, Terminate Dad. Okay? <laughs> Terminate Dad. Really? It's right there. Mm. It's right there. Listen, mm. I'm usually the first guy to be on board with something like that, Devendra. That's uh, yeah. I, I can't. You can't even. You haven't <laughs> even gotten me. Pretty painful. You know what I'm saying? Pretty painful. Um, you haven't even so gotten me. You are Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I will say that 
you know, last week or a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Gemini Man and how uh, the effects were unconvincing. And it's movies like this where the opening scene has like a, a oh, young yeah. Linda Hamilton Holy and moly. Eddie Furlong. I was blown young, away. Yeah. I, yeah. Th- I genuinely had a moment of like, is this like an uh, an unreleased scene? <laughs> yeah, that they is this shot like deleted, back then? deleted yes. scene from Terminator 2, you know, but. I don't think it is. I, so, I think it's a fully CG, in completely no, CG it is. Scene. It's fully CG. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible, and it's the DH, future yeah. of movies. It's the future of movies. I keep saying that the dark the, future of movies. I keep I keep <laughs> saying that we we need to. There should only ever be Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones. We'll just keep making Indiana Jones movies with Harrison Ford, and he can always be thirty. There's no reason not to. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. Just make more Indiana Jones movies and have it be 30 year old. Uh, that Indiana is certainly going to be our dark future. Other than sure, how extremely sure. dystopian that sounds. Uh, yes, I yes. agree. We, we have to make Marvel movies forever with our the same kids, characters. Our kids are not going to think that's weird. Our kids are not going to think that's weird. They're go- yeah. you're going to have people are going to make movies and decide who they want to cast, and they're not going to be limited by who's alive. I think sure. that what was particularly impressive to me about it was how much progress had been made since the last Terminator movies. Because I think in Terminator uh, Salvation, Genesis, right, okay. and in Genesis, you see like young Arnold Schwarzenegger in those movies, yeah. and he looks terrible in those films. Yeah. yeah. But then you see young Arnold Schwarzenegger in the beginning of this movie, and it looks like a perfect recreation. It's like. Night and day, how good it's it incredible. Looks in this movie. All yeah. Edward Furlong is perfect. Yes. It's perfect. It's yeah. perfect. It's amazing. Anyway, <laughs> finally, listen, all, all we ever wanted Edward to Furlong. see was young Edward Furlong get shotgunned <laughs> point blank. Oh, that is really all we have ever so, wanted. This movie gave us that at the beginning. I think what's a bu- so what's a bummer about this movie, right? Is that it? <laughs> so this email comes in from uh, one of our listeners who I've, I think like. Uh, this this actually should be a term. Um, maybe I'm gonna help to make it a term. I'm gonna make this a term like Matt Singer made uh, legacy sequel into a thing. But he writes here, Julian Julian Gil Murray writes in from London. He says, "Quote: um, I'm writing to ask what your opinion was regarding an aspect of Terminator Dark Fate which, which I found troubling. I'm going to call it the nostalgia paradox." And it is present in other so-called legacy sequels like Force Awakens, Blair Witch, and the other Terminator reboot, Genesis, and Jurassic World. Essentially, these are films which are desperate to go back to the roots of their respective franchise. They give us the nostalgic rush of replaying similar beats from films of our childhood, often with the appearance of key actors. The problem is, in order to return to these familiar storylines, these films have to completely undermine the installments which they are referencing. Terminator Dark Fate is the most egregious of examples. It plays as a semi-remake of T2, a chase film with action beats between the two being sent from the future. It tells us as the audience, don't worry about the other sequels. This is the true Terminator film, just like the one you love from the 90s. And yet, in order to get to a place of familiarity, the film we love and are being reminded of has to be completely undone. In T2, nothing was achieved. John Connor was killed. And the future is so laughably similar to the one the characters averted that they might as well not have bothered. There's a similar problem in The Force Awakens, which lovingly references the original trilogy, while in the desperation to return to its dynamic of rebels pitted against an empire, undoes everything that happened to it. It's a bizarre paradox where the audience is made to be nostalgic for films, while at the same time being told that in story terms, their significance is nil. In order to enjoy Dark Fate, you have to be able to both love T2 and accept its irrelevance. It's the equivalent of being delivered a love letter and hate yeah. mail at the same time. It's not irrelevant. It's not irrelevant. I disagree. Is the thing. Yeah. yeah. I, the, thing that, the thing that's so clever about this movie, the movie that this should have been, and they just can't do it because everyone's too old, but the movie this should have been, that I think would have been the most interesting sequel to Terminator 2, is the idea 
of a Terminator from a future that doesn't happen anymore still trying to accomplish its goal. I think that's a fascinating concept that, like, you don't have to kill John Connor anymore. He It doesn't happen. He doesn't become the freedom fighter, resistance leader, because the machines don't take over. But too late, he already got sent from the wrong timeline. And so this awesome cat and mouse of, like, literally trying to convince this Terminator that there's no point, I think that would be a fascinating movie. And <laughs> the coolest thing about Terminator Dark Fate is that it is Terminators from one timeline fighting Terminators from another timeline. Yeah, it is, yeah. that is a very cool idea. The nostalgia the timeline. Yeah. But the thing that's so, I find so frustrating about it is that they're completely uninterested in making the new timeline, the new world that, that happens any different from the old timeline. Like, yeah, how yeah, cool yeah. would it have been if we had gotten, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not Cyberdyne Systems anymore. It's Legion. It's not Skynet. It's Legion. Yeah. Who cares? There's no difference there. It's, it's exactly very much the like same. the First Order, you know, like or right. in, in Force Awakens, like, oh, it's not a Death Star. It's the uh, whatever Star Killer Base. Star Killer Base. Yeah. It's not. But uh, yeah. but the, anyway. the the opportunity that they set up for themselves was to create something wildly new and different to be yeah. as as jaw-droppingly different as Terminator 2 was to Terminator, to actually turn the series on its head and go, oh, look, you can create that sense of anything is possible again in this universe. And and you could still have the cool action stuff, but it could have been, it could have been like, oh, everything you thought you knew is different. And Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie are fighting an old type of thing. They're They're fighting a war in a, it could have been a statement about the difference of generations. It could have been, I mean, we are in a place right now in the real world where the idea of AI and machines is really terrifying. And what if this movie had been about the fact that, hey, it isn't going to be a bunch of robots marching out of the water and shooting lasers at humans. It's actually going to be something even more sinister than that. We're all going to willingly give up our, our control over whatever it is. It could have been something that actually has meaning to today. And it could have been about the fact that Linda Hamilton prepared for a war. That's a completely different kind of war. And the Terminator, <laughs> this old ass Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator is built to fight in a way that we don't even need to fight anymore. And it could have been this really cool thing of like, Oh my God, the new, the Legion, the new version of Skynet doesn't look anything like it was. You won, Linda. You won, John Connor. You did it. You stopped them in Terminator 2. But what happened, what took their place is something even more sinister. And, and it isn't just a humanoid robot running through the streets and shooting people. It's something way bigger and crazier. And that could have been that could have been like the coolest mm -hmm. sequel ever. And they just whiffed on it. They just went back to something, the tired old same tropes and they had that. They had it there. They had the opportunity. I hear you, Jeff. Like I, I hear what you're saying there. Like it would have been nice to see something completely new and different. I feel like this movie needed more time to bake to kind of settle some of those ideas uh, because you can really tell the flaws here are in the writing, but I have to say, I don't like, I don't think this movie makes T2 irrelevant. It just shows like it, it, makes what happened in T2 kind of futile. And I think that that is kind of the point, right? You think you saved the world, but 
you know, some other idiot is going to develop the same tech that's going to be very similar because as we develop AI tech, uh, guys, like right now, we are building robots that look like killer skeletons. You know, somebody else is going to do the same shit because uh, th that's just kind of what we are. And nobody else knows the future that Sarah Connor predicted. So it's not like she broadcasted this information either. Right. So there was no like uh, the sequel should have been, hey, maybe AI tech. Maybe. Um, yeah, we should just slow down on this a bit. Maybe we should be careful because that's really where they could have gone. Yeah, I, I um, mean, I disagree yeah. with both of you strenuously. Like, I actually think there's a great <laughs> point to this, to what this. Uh, well, well let me let me let me finish. Yeah. I do. I, I am saying like it is I think it's still valuable. I think the fact that the same mistakes happen, maybe the future doesn't look that different. But I think it is kind of interesting that basically the same mistakes happen, but also the same sort of like resistance rises up almost organically. And there is something vaguely hopeful about that. Like uh, that is the entire hopeful message about T2 kind of represented here. I just wish it didn't feel like we were just copying T2 by doing that. I think uh, you're, you're, I mean, you are saying it doesn't make T2 irrelevant while then reaffirming that it makes T2 irrelevant. You're saying, oh, well, some other jackass is just going to build the same thing. The, that is the whole point of T2 is that like the future is not immutable. So like you are saying that actually it is like the future is inexorable. We're heading in one direction no matter what. That is the opposite of what T2 is trying to say. So I think the movie does, well, in fact, really undermine it's a, T2. It's a different. No, but it is, it's the future depicted in T2 like doesn't happen. And I think they, they confirmed that in this movie it doesn't happen. Judgment Day doesn't happen. They succeeded. They saved billions of lives, but that doesn't preclude anybody else from doing something separate that looks a lot similar. That's, That's why I think it should have yeah. been way more so different. If, extremely if been, similar. But I, I think it's um, different. And if it had been, if it had actually taken some chances and gone, oh, all the iconography you recognize as being the future from a Terminator movie mm -hmm. isn't how the future is because this is a different timeline. Yeah, now. yeah. That would have been so much more interesting and so much cooler. And it wouldn't have felt like it was immutable. It would have been like, no, you change things, but things are diff are bad in a different way now, and you have to change your tactics yeah, yeah. on how you're going to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Matt I Singer, think, go ahead. Well, I, I, the, the, the letter that you read was interesting, Dave. I would point out that everyone, you, you guys are all talking about Terminator 2, and I think it's worth mentioning that um, that is Terminator 2. Like, Terminator 1, um, I think, is a pretty important element of the yes. kind of the, the stew here. And Terminator 1 ends with Sarah Connor alone and driving off into this stormy metaphorical uh uh desert um and and so the idea that you know terminator 2 in some ways releases the tension by having this kind of happy ending where they they stop skynet they prevent judgment day um that's all true but i think and you could argue that what this movie does isn't so much undo terminator 2 as it kind of affirms the mood of Terminator one, which was yeah, that there is yeah. this, there is this looming disaster on the horizon. And what I found kind of compelling about this movie was the, uh, sort of what Devendra is saying, like that, that you can prevent these one group of people in this one set of circumstances, but that doesn't mean like that. I think it's the, the Arnold character, the, the Terminator who says something like, Basically, even if Skynet doesn't happen, there's a 74% chance that humanity is doomed anyway, um, <laughs> which that. kind yeah. of speaks to a, a, a line in, I think, in the second movie 
where um, the Terminator and John Connor are when they're like stocking up on weapons, which I guess makes this a little bit of a callback because we're, we're talking about the scene with all the weapons in the new movie. But like they're looking at kids playing um, like soldier or army and they're running around with toy guns and shooting each other. And John in Connor says something motion. like, we're not going to make it. And the Terminator says, like, it's in your nature to destroy each other, basically. And so there's something kind of beautifully, hauntingly tragic about all of these movies at their best that I think speaks to this movie is that uh, there is this sense that no matter what we can do, what we do, some bad shit is coming in that storm on the horizon but that doesn't necessarily mean we should accept it. That's like part of what makes Terminator so beautiful is that there are these people who are fighting perhaps fut- futilely, you know, and uh, quixotically to prevent this almost inevitable dark future from occurring. Mm. Well, but isn't it – I think it's so – such a cool idea to have an old-ass Linda Hamilton, an old-ass Sarah Connor who has prepared her whole life – for something that's not going to happen. That is such a, an interesting place to put that character. You have prepared and, and cha- her whole life changed. And yeah, she was ready when Terminator 2 happened. But now she's living this existence based on a, an assumption of something that is, is not happening. And the movie just completely is uninterested in it. gives her purpose at the end by saying, yeah, no, but you know, she's going to be the one that trains it. He's the, she's the new John. You're you have purpose again because you're adopting her as your new John. And it's all going to, it's all going to line up again. I just think it would have been so much more interesting if things didn't line up again and it became, it just diverged even further. And you explore what it's like for this woman to go through her, you know, 20 years of living in preparation for something that isn't. I think that's... Yeah, it's, it's that, that would have been cool, Jeff. Yeah, to some extent, cool. though, you're yeah. asking for a movie that's not a Terminator yes. movie. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, that's... that's uh, that would be a bold Terminator sequel, but uh, that's not really sort of what the franchise generally has been. I mean, I would love to see a movie... I would love to write a, a a novel that's about the Schwarzenegger character being a drape salesman for 20 years. But that's also <laughs> so not what, you know, that's also not what a Terminator movie necessarily is, or at least the people who make them believe them to be. Maybe mm-hmm. there is a, a uh, an alternate timeline where that is what the Terminator movies look like, what you're describing. It certainly sounds like an interesting idea, but it's not quite yeah. – what well, the movie gets lips have been or have evolved into. I recognize that, and I know people are going to chide me for <laughs> reviewing a movie that isn't the movie. But it, it, the movie gives lip service to that concept, and it just doesn't. It's not interested mm-hmm. in in thinking well, about well, to some the extent. What you're what you're what you're describing is kind of is like reflected in the in the Schwarzenegger character in this movie. Like that's. He's I mean, they're 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 mm-hmm. they're kind of linked the two characters. He, he's a machine he's also, made of regret. And right, that and is he's also so fascinating. This, yeah, yeah. And he's also this 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 character who's been made for a singular purpose. And now that purpose has been fulfilled. And now he 
has no use. And so he's like tried to figure out what to do with himself. I mean, in a way, the character, the Linda Hamilton character you're describing is the Terminator in this movie, Mm -hmm. um, which I is probably not a coincidence. I think they're meant to echo each other. It's some sort of like I am. It's some sort of like I am legend thing where she's the one going around hunting down the Terminators that pop up now. Because also, why are the Terminators still popping up? Like, what are yeah. I guess it's the other ones are just still hanging around looking looking for something to do. I don't, I wonder, I don't know. I, I, I was wondering the, if that was an oblique reference to the Sarah Connor Chronicles. No, it I think been. it's I think the but, concept yeah. is that, hey, like, so I, I think, Matt, can we concede that continuity in the franchise is pretty rough overall? Um, oh, for sure. And, and if so, yeah. then I think like the concept is, hey, they didn't just send back one Terminator. They sent back a bunch, like at random times, kind of like stray bullets. And even exactly. though we che- even though we prevented Skynet and, and uh, Judgment Day from happening, all these stray bullets are still kind of like on their – like headed back in time and kind of on their original track. And uh, those are the ones that uh, a killed John and b that that Sarah mm-hmm. Connor is taking out. But I, I mm-hmm. do think that like the pro- the problem with this movie is I mean, is, so to have John Connor develop as a character both in Terminator Two and Three and Salvation, arguably and Genesis, but I mean mostly those other ones, and then to just kill him off unceremoniously at the beginning of Listen, this movie, kill I, the past. I, yeah. I understand like why they did it. I read the interview again, and in it they describe like. This is a this is a character who has like missed his historical moment because this historical moment never happened. So are you going to like have John Connor like being an accountant in this film? Like it just doesn't make any sense. So they're just like let's just I get rid of him. I think that would be rad. <laughs> I think that would be so interesting. Uh, I am honestly I'm very glad. Like this movie immediately is like, you know what? Fuck off John Connor. Like we're done. We're done with this story and I we, Jeff you're asking for a very different Terminator movie even though this has the template of a Terminator movie like at least we're not still dealing with the like mythology of John Connor, like him as this amazing leader, the, like him as being this very important person. Uh, we've tr- we've moved that over to somebody else, but <laughs> at least it's that person doing it, and not you know the product of that person's womb as yeah, well. So no, I, that, I feel like that, there, there are true. some differences there. We so yeah. we 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 haven't spoken enough, in my opinion, about how good. Um, What's her Mackenzie Davis is in this movie? She's great. Yes. Yeah. I, she's awesome. I, I actually so think uh, she's a superstar, man. Yeah. I mean, I I actually uh, w- was really impressed, and I was like, the first scene that she's in, where she takes out all the cops, I was like, well, um, she's like out of breath. That's like they, they're already like eff- like I did not know what she was heading into the film because I did not watch any trailers. Um, and I was like, she's out of breath. Like none of the other Terminators are out of breath. They're already messing this movie up. But then it turns out she's not uh, a Terminator. She's an <laughs> augmented human. And the way that they kind of conceived of that character, I thought was pretty brilliant. Like she has this weakness to like, hey, like the first five minutes of any encounter with the Terminator are the most important. And basically she's not designed to last after that. And so she has this like weakness. She needs to keep injecting herself with drug. Like I just thought that was all like really it's smart. Great. Yeah, it's like great. Just, Except yeah. for the fact that in every movie, it lasts more than five minutes with every Terminator. <laughs> that ever, you know, but okay. I, but, but, it's, but you know, the, it's a cool idea. In concept, yeah. in concept, yes, I, yeah. I agree. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I thought she was great. The performance is great, and like she brings this great physicality to the movie that um, uh, that you really need for a movie like this to be convincing. Yeah. And so. I honestly didn't expect that from her too, because I'm more used to her playing like these. Basically, like in *Halt and Catch Fire*, she is a computer programmer. She is like a very nerdy, punkish computer programmer. Like she, you know, 
she doesn't exactly look like an action star, but then I guess so did, you know, Linda, Linda Hamilton really didn't either before T2 and like things, things kind of changed a bit. Speaking of Linda Hamilton, by the way, we talked about how great it is to see her on screen again. It does feel like after T2, she was, uh, I'm sure there's like a lot of stories about this, that she was kind of done dirty a little by Hollywood. Like she hasn't been in many movies. She has credits, but nothing like major. Uh, she popped up in Frasier. She was in Chuck for for i think for pretty much the whole run there like little things like that but nothing amazing i'm just glad to see her back in a big project like this like i grew up watching linda hamilton on beauty and the beast which yeah, was a fantastic show so good completely i completely in love with her i was, was oh my so god good. i had a crush on her she was so good and it feels like we still do she's still yeah. hot man she is smoking hot <laughs> she's rocking it yeah yeah Oh, another thing I, I, I want to complain about, I'm sure you guys will make fun of me for complaining about it. Cause it's like, <laughs> why are you even putting any energy into this? But, uh, what the fuck is up with this new Terminator? Like, yeah, yeah. The, that's a problem. What are the fucking rules with the fucking Terminator? <laughs> liquid, but also a little, little Terminator hiding inside. The, I, thought, liquid, I thought it was pretty clear. I thought it, it was pretty clear. It is so dumb. It is so dumb. <laughs> like there's an ex- exoskeleton. <laughs> That can step out of it for a while. Yeah. So what is he like the candy coated shell? That yes. There needs to be there needs to be a weakness for the <laughs> other one. Like there there is none. The other one is still super powerful Terminator. Like okay, if the exoskeleton walks out, then maybe you could kill the other one. Like uh, something, something. It's so fucking stupid. And they're but they're both liquid ish. But one's the exoskeleton. One, one's one not, is it, not liquid. The exoskeleton both, one is not liquid. They both constitute out of liquid and <laughs> multiple do, moments. No, they don't. Not the not the exoskeleton one. That's the whole yes. point of that one. No, disagree. Matt Singer, back me up here. What do you think of the rules with this new uh, Rev Nine? I think it's called right. There's, it's like one is solid and one is liquid. Yeah, one no, is solid, he, he one is liquid. Out of the liquid one. That's that's what we see. We see the solid one. Yeah, the solid out. steps but, one but out of the liquid one. It doesn't yeah. make sense. There are multiple moments where it constitutes itself out of nothing. That is not, not, not just you are out. not accurately describing. I'm not sure what you're referring <laughs> yeah, to. That is that is uh, like that is a distortion of that... effects. No. Yeah. My that, God. That did I not happen this, in the movie, Jeff. The goobits <laughs> the goobits also don't quite work too, because is, is it so it's just a better T one thousand, I guess? Like it, it it's actually like a worse T one thousand in my opinion. Yeah, like it's way worse. <laughs> but did you guys ever see like those if you watch like nature documentaries of like ants building like ladders out of other ants? That's really what it looks like. It's like this weird thing where it's just like they pile on top of each other in a really stringy, weird yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. It's a very strange thing to do with the Terminator movie because, yeah, it, it doesn't look as cool. Funk, like, it's very weird. I don't, I don't get D- it. Jeff, what's here's my. Have, what's better to have a, a completely liquid thing that can literally split itself in half right. to dodge right. a bullet or a exoskeleton in there for no damn reason? Because <laughs> obviously you can operate without it in there. It makes no sense. <laughs> Sense and it's so dumb. For the price of one, though, it's you it's, can always uh, be two if you're liquid. Who cares? That's that's my problem with it, Jeff. Is why would that just not be two things at all times? You know, because like yes. you, you'd have so many advantages if you could attack two people at the same time. It, it just uh, so I agree. It, it doesn't make that much sense. But I, I did like that they tried to do something. No. Like distinctly different with the no, thing. They didn't. The it, it was a lazy idea. A lazy idea built on something cool from Terminator Two. Like, okay, we did liquid. Yeah. Let's let's come up with. It's something like the first new. one was solid. The second one was liquid. What if we yes. did one that was liquid yes. and solid? Yeah, I think all the all the Terminator sequels have had this same problem. Is yes. that the the first one had 
you know, this incredible character. And they actually found a way in the second movie to outdo it, to create this incredible, you know, one of the, as far as I'm concerned, one of the all time great movie villains, the liquid, the T-1000, like that's just an all time great character, the design and, and the way it moves and all the different, they come up with so many different ways to use its powers. And then there's all the subtext with the fact that it's dressed as a cop in the whole movie. Like it's such a rich character and they have never, even in, even, and I say this as someone who's liked all the movies and can defend all them. They like, they have never found a way to do like the T1 million yeah. or like the next level. They just Man, have not, they've just have brought the it out the same the same variations of what they've already made. No and love for the Terminatrix. Wow. No, it's the same because oh, wow. it's the same, you know, it's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. And this it's movie too, it's like, it is, it's like, it literally is like they took the, the, the robot from one and robot from two and smushed them together. And, yes, and it's so lazy. I, I have the idea. I know you guys are going to get mad at me again for, you know, Pitching a movie that isn't. Just write but this movie, Jeff. Write my pitch. I like pitching Please. my movies. I like pitching. This is why I do this show is to pitch my movies. So maybe Hollywood can listen. No, it's not true. Um, but the 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 cool idea here is to have, you know, we're in an alternate timeline where it's more like now where machines are actually using humans. So the actual, the the next Terminator is a bunch of real people. It takes over actual people. And so you're fighting things that you don't want to kill. And so you have you have Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger who are these ultimate killing machines. All of a sudden, now you don't want to kill them because they're actually human beings that are that are fragile and organic. And, it, and it's just the technology that's using the human beings to do what it wants. And it can be anybody at any time, all the time, but it's not so, whatever. Let's, it's, let's it's talk a, about let's talk about the movie that we saw. I um, know. <laughs> Screw you guys. I, I, but I, I do think you're pointing to something that is uh, is true about these movies, which is like like the original concept of hey, let's send something back in time, like let's send a robot back in time to kill someone, is such an '80s kind of idea that uh, today th- there's like many other more sophisticated ways to kill humans that a machine would probably develop, right? Like. Uh, the, the, why why not send back like a bomb or something like that that would like exterminate all life on Earth? You know, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense that they would be sending these robots back in time still. Uh, and I, I know like the first movie had these rules around like it needs to have it needs to be a living thing, right? Because of the field <laughs> it creates. But then they were still able to send back a Terminator. You know, in in so just coat it with flesh and it can go back in the machine. I guess anyway. Uh, uh yes. The uh. The- let me. One of the flaws of this movie. Let me ask you guys this question. Actually, uh, is really liked all the characters. Who do you think the protagonist of this film was? You mean not not Danny Ramos? Is is Just Danny the protagonist of the film? Does uh, anyone does anyone have an opinion I mean, on who the protagonist? I, I, I would is? say she is positioned as the protagonist because she is literally the Sarah Connor figure as replicated from T1. Right. So, but but yeah, the movie yeah. opens with Sarah Connor and the credits it opens with Sarah Connor. A lot of the big emotional beats are with Sarah Connor like realizing like that her son is dead. And by the way, like if you if you look at the arc of Terminator's 1 2 and this movie, it's very much like mm-hmm. That that woman has gone on a real emotional roller coaster as it relates to uh, Terminators. She Ooh, first rough. was like yeah. feared it for her life, then grew to appreciate it, then hates it again, and then at the end of this movie, grows to appreciate it again. I mean, that's just uh, that's just a lot <laughs> to deal with. 
It's so, a lot. It's a lot. It's a tough um, what about the fact that she literally had a son with a person whose <laughs> timeline doesn't exist? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, Matt Singer, earlier you were saying how, like, let's not forget Terminator 1, you know, and her driving off. And, and the last moments of Terminator 1 is her getting a Polaroid photo of herself taken that then Kyle Reese uses to fall in love with her in the future. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I think Terminator 2 undoes Terminator 1, right? Like, Terminator 1 is like, hey, we're heading into this fate. And look, this Polaroid photo is like show, proof that like we're heading towards this very certain future. And Terminator 2 is like, hey, guess what? Terminator 1 was complete bullshit. Like, we actually can make our own fate. But then what this movie does is it then kind of undoes Terminator 2 to some degree. And also posits the idea of an Arnold Schwarzenegger or a, a T-800 that develops feelings and can love? The, the like, approximation of human emotion. That, I, that character is fascinating. Is it, really is it or is I it like just it. a complete retcon of the... T- like, have you seen Terminator 1 recently? It's like, hey, yes. this thing is designed to be an unstoppable killing machine. Uh, nothing. It cannot be reasoned with. It will not stop until everything's dead. You know, it's just like... And then to go from that to... It, it it has a family, you know, and yeah. uh, it just, I mean. I, I, I don't think the justification for why he did it was really that strong. Like, it does sound a little silly, but I love the idea of a sad killer robot just wandering the desert and saying, like, what? What is my purpose? What, what also, is my purpose? And he really embodies that. And then he channels that. Like, once he learns a basic amount of empathy, like, he channels that into pure regret. And that's that's fascinating. I, I think it's really interesting to see how Arnold is juggling that idea um, and how he's still helping out Sarah Connor, even though this was the one that was still designed to kill them. It is interesting that the movie, I mean, one ramification of the movie is that, you know, all these Terminators are going back and Sarah Connor is showing up. All she has to tell them is John's dead. And they would all be like, oh, let's start a family. <laughs> you know, she doesn't have to kill any Terminators at this point. She spent her whole life killing Terminators. They show up. She's just like, yeah, mission's complete, bro. <laughs> no problem. And they're like, oh, that's cool. Now what do I do with my life? You know, Better start a robot family. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel bad for the uh, the wife in that situation, too. Like, I wish, I wish she was more of a character. Like, I wish she at least had something to say. Like, oh, yeah, I know. I know he's not he's he's not a human man, but uh, listen, good yeah. good guys are hard to come by. But it, it's hard. Know, she's the happiest woman ever. She doesn't have to have <laughs> sex with him. She could just like she just, he just lifts things and and uh, takes out the garbage, and she's just like ah, oh, this is the best. Great. So yeah. Matt, Matt Singer, you were referring to how like this is a a reference to um, kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger's real life, right? Because like in reality, he had an affair with his. Uh, Hispanic housekeeper and had a child with her, right? Who is yep. now like a grown man at this point. And in yep. the movie, he uh, k- kind of has this side family with what appears to be like a woman of color and her son. And then... Oh, yeah. Uh, he says he met them, I think, in Mexico, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, at, at one point when he parts with them, he's like, hey, um, my past has finally caught up with me. Right, like yeah, he has to leave, and it's just like wow, like is this is this his way of like coming to terms with his like real life sins? Like, what what did you make of yeah. that, Matt? Well, I think you you hit the nail on the head. That was a lot of what I I took away from it. Um, 
like it's it's right up there on the screen for all. I don't know like, why no one has written about. It. I haven't seen any I, I articles. Like people about have that. forgotten about this. Like, yeah. this is one of those things that uh, there's been so much happening. We've forgotten about. I was thinking about it through the whole movie. This. I was like, yeah. this right. is kind of weird. Think, man. I think every, I think a lot of people who see it think of it. I just think that you know the movie has not done all that well, and so there's not a lot of uh, demand for. Uh, think pieces about uh, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger's illegitimate son and how it relates to the the Terminator. But I, I mean, it's very it's if you know anything about him, it's impossible not to think of of that in those scenes. Um, and you know, like the 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 what you're referencing, where he says like my past has caught up with me, and he has to. He has to go go and, and be a Terminator again. Like, it's this interesting kind of, <laughs> I must go and terminate. That, that's you know, the point like, where he says, I won't be back. That's I heartbreak. Back. Yeah. That's yeah. Heartbreak. yeah. Actually, yes. It's like I won't a really, be back, like, son. Weirdly emotional line, yeah. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that That is kind of an interesting um, sort of bookend or dovetail with a lot of the earlier characters in his movies where – um, you know, after the 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 sort of early Terminator phase of his career where he was just playing these like literal and figurative killing machines, he started making all these movies right around the time that he did get married and settle down and have a family where he seems to be like wrestling with the idea of being this like big hulking monster man who also is trying to be a loving father. Um, and he has all these movies where he's like like – he there are two of him or he's like wrestling with multiple sides of his personality, you know, mm, true lies, kindergarten cop, yeah. the sixth day, total yeah. recall, twins, like everyone. Like it's uh, almost astonishing when you list them all, how many there were. And so <laughs> to kind of return to that here in this interesting way is another layer where here he's. He's like fully abandoned that side of himself, as far as we can tell. He's fully embraced domestic life. He seems to enjoy it as much as an, you know, a robot who has no emotions can enjoy it. He's got opinions on drapes, okay? He loves like, drapes. Loves drapes. I got into but, drapes. There was a small period where I got into politics for a while, but then now <laughs> I'm into drapes. <laughs> But so the, so the fact that in this movie, he's kind of embraced that side, but then has to, you know, like it's still a part of him and he has to uh, return to it, I think is a very interesting uh, subtextual element as well that you could, you know, you could read it as, uh, you know, the fact that that he, you know, quit Hollywood, became a politician. And then that didn't, you know, I guess it worked out for a couple of years. Maybe it didn't work <laughs> out. I don't know. You know, that's a that's more of a, po a, a political question, I suppose. But that he then returned to Hollywood and he's still making these Terminator movies. And I think he enjoys it. I think he loves that this, you know, that he's still relevant. But the fact that he, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like the Godfather or um, like a Western hero, you know, who can't put down his gun or every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in kind of a thing. There's a very interesting, I don't know. I find that very interesting as well. So there's, and there's other stuff. If you wanted me to sit here and talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger all night, I easily could, but that's just a little, that's the, that's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Uh, comes to his element of this movie. I do think you're, you're right that it was strangely emotional when he's like, I will not be back. Cause I, I think he is approaching the end of his career. Right. And, I think I don't think I'm like going out on a limb too far to say this is probably the last time we'll see him portray this character, right? I mean, the mm -hmm. movie certainly with the box office of this yeah. movie, I would say the, it's almost 
Oh uh, yes, it's very very unlikely that he'll ever he'll ever do it. Certainly in in to this degree. I mean, right. who knows if they'll make another one and they'll find a way to cameo him in some way or like you know uh you know we were saying earlier they're they're they'll just use the cgi version of him again but in terms of like a new meaningful like part i think this is for sure the the yeah. last one and uh, so the movie is uh is estimated to lose the people involved about 120 million dollars as a result of how bad the box office is um but uh, Walter Chaw in the chat room says something I think is is very much in keeping with what you said, Matt. He says, quote, it's fascinating to see the evolution of emotionless action icons of the 80s aging into these images of regret and helplessness. These films work better as allegory, and this is a phenomenal one. Stallone, too, in The Last Rambo, all that rage, and there's nothing left for him in the end. Everyone he loves is dead. Everything he believed in is a lie. The T-800 is archaic. Neither will be back, end quote. I think that uh, definitely is... A, a great way of summarizing Arnold's arc in mm-hmm. the franchise and in this film. And uh, yeah, it, it is kind of, uh, it does get kind of emotional because it's like he's he's not just talking, he's not just talking as his character in this movie. He's talking as Arnold Schwarzenegger as well. No, that, and when I interviewed him, he even said he loves drapes. That was very, that came very naturally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any closing thoughts on the movie? I, I, I don't. Th- I don't think we talked too much about the action. I just have to say, like, I, I really appreciate the action in this movie. I was actually a little worried because I, I did watch all the trailers and they sold this really floaty CG heavy looking stuff. Like it looked like a, de- it looked like Deadpool, which is fine for Deadpool, but maybe not fine for Terminator. And the actual set pieces, I think, are pretty grounded, except for when people are jumping around for some reason. We can't get that CG right. Uh, but like, I appreciate the action. It's very clear, um, compared to certainly Terminator three had some decent set pieces, but salvation and Genesis did not. So, yeah, I don't know. The the problem is Terminator one and two were masterclasses of their time at blending practical effects with CG or digital effects. Oh, sure. I mean, not, not really, um, not really Terminator (laughs) one. T1, they didn't really have much of a choice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But Terminator two, I mean, it's, it's ingenious. And as time has gone on, they've relied more and more on CG to the film's detriment, in my opinion. Oh no, definitely. Um, definitely, And, uh, in this one, I thought they struck a pretty good balance. There's still some stuff that looks kind of silly, like the airplane scene with the Humvee inside. Like I thought that was pretty silly and, Literally, I thought that everything was the weakest, like, the weakest yeah. kind of set piece. But I'm also always like, for me, a lot of Terminator films are always like a mystery. Like I'm like, how are they going to kill this thing? Because in, in every movie, right, at least T1, T2, in this one, they throw everything that like grenade launchers, shotguns, like everything they can at these Terminators, and nothing kills them. And I'm always like, how are they going to kill this one? And I'm always like wondering whether or not the solution they came up with is convincing. In the first one, they crushed it under a whatever the hell that thing was. And then in the second one, they threw the T-1000 into a bunch of lava, which felt like a pretty good way of destroying that. And in this one, it was like, I guess, a turbine of some kind, right? They they blew it up in the power power cell. Right. I guess... um, Part of him was killed using the turbine. Uh, the you turbine, know. yeah, just like he would have reconstituted, given the rules we've seen in this right. movie. Like he yeah, would yeah. have eventually reabsorbed himself or some bullshit. But and yeah, they put the power cell in power into, cell. His, uh, yeah. into his head there. Um, so that made sense. Turbine is another word I'd like to hear Arnold say. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> indeed. I, uh, you know, I think Gabriel Luna did a did a fine job. Yeah, at, yeah. But mm. one of the things that I thought was always so cool about 
Terminator is that you have this casting of this this guy, this this strange metahuman in Arnold Schwarzenegger that doesn't look like a regular person. That just it, it, he's so enormous and crazy. And I know Robert Patrick isn't that. Uh, right. So we've already established that they sort of. You know, whatever happened at Skynet was like, you know, maybe we should uh, calm down and like, you know, cast some normal people or, uh, you know, uh, create some models that look more like normal people. But I I always felt like there's a there's a way to cast the Terminators that's more interesting than just getting a good actor that you can find something that looks odd and inhuman. And and I don't know, I, I always wished that they had embraced what Cameron kind of did with the first one in casting Schwarzenegger because he, he doesn't look like a human being. He looks like oh, some yeah. kind of yeah. proto human. And I think that that's, I don't know. It bums me out that they've sort of walked away from that. Well, you guys, you guys really Glover, should watch Terminator. <laughs> you go. Listen, you go. Garrett Dillahunt was a Terminator in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Okay. Like you guys got to watch that show. That show kicked ass. I, I uh, think the thing really is, cool the, the, the thing is though, uh, Jeff, I, I think Robert Patrick actually kind of made up for not being a meta human. Like, I think that's a great yeah. point about, but he kind of made up for it because of the performance. I think that Correct. I agree. all that running he did, like, do you guys understand how hard it is to run without taking a breath and without blinking and without opening your mouth? Yeah. Like that's just really difficult to do. And that's what he does the entire film. And yeah. so like, he kind of compensate, like whatever shortcomings he had as in not appearing as a meta human, I think he more than compensated. And that's just very hard for any actor to live up to. I mean, yeah, we don't really see Arnold run very much. It'd be, be a little hard for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With all that weight. But the other thing too, is that Robert Patrick is like basically the physical body opposite of like what you'd imagine. Right. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like yeah. that parallel, I think was interesting too. So really, yeah, I just think at this guy. point, yeah. it's, it's just a guy, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just, just a guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah. He does a great he does a great job and he's like yeah, very threatening. Um the most interesting part I thought was when he had all those like uh s- custom uh the the border patrol border agents patrol on on yeah. top of him and he was like his, like spikes were coming out of his body like at <laughs> random time. That was kind of interesting I thought. But yeah. Other than that I agree with you Jeff like nothing particularly remarkable about uh this performance. Um but it was it was threatening. It was threatening. So anyway, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our review of Terminator Dark Fate. A uh, lo- lot of variety of opinions on the podcast today. Uh, Terminator, come on. Terminator. But I'm the bad one for pitching my movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I didn't spend 20 minutes on that, Jeff. So You okay. can both be bad. <laughs> Matt Singer is uh, the author of Marvel's Spider-Man from Amazing to Spectacular, the definitive comic art collection. Uh, Matt, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, I'm writing every day at screencrush.com. There's a lot more Terminator stuff we've done over there, interviews and essays. And I ranked every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and talked more about a lot of these same things in there. So that's all at Screen Crush. And my Twitter account is at Matt Singer. How about you, Devinder Hardware? Oh, I'm at Devendra on Twitter. I write about tech at Engadget.com. Check out our new podcast there, the the Engadget podcast. Uh, you can find it on iTunes and everywhere you can find shows. How about you, Jeff Kanata? I'm at Jeff Kanata on Twitter. That's with two N's and one T. I do a video game podcast called DLC. You can find that at 5by5.tv slash DLC. And, um, you know, 
if you're not like these guys and you actually do want to hear some of my ideas for stories, I, I do a, a story. I, I create a long form improvised story, a, a Dungeons and Dragons live play show called The Dungeon Run. Uh, I'm very proud of it. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run or on uh, as a podcast, as an audio podcast, uh, by searching for The Dungeon Run there as well. <clears throat> or you can watch it live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. And find uh, my other podcast where I interview interesting people at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Last week, I did a director's commentary on the Netflix movie In the Tall Grass with writer-director Vincenzo Natale. I think it's uh, a really fun, fascinating commentary. I'm trying to bring the movie commentary back. And uh, this is my kind of uh, line in the sand of, of where uh, I, I want to bring it to. Check it out at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Our theme song for the Slash Filmcast was written by adamwarrock.com. Um, our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And this episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Next week, we'll be discussing Dr. Sleep, which is the sequel to the Stanley Kubrick film, The Shining, I believe. Uh, and the book. And the book. Weirdly. And the book. And the book. Yeah. It's a legacy sequel. It's a legacy sequel. Oh um, I don't. I don't know that any of the original actors are back though, Matt. Um, but we'll see. I guess that's true. We'll see. We'll see. So that's Doctor Sleep. Looking forward to all two and a half hours of that movie. Uh, and we will see you next week here on the Slash. Film.